0: I'm Laura McNabb of The Start. Brett is away this week, but Greg is back from vacation. And boy, does he have some thoughts on our big conversation of the day. Light rail transit. We've been talking about it since the 50s. Rail versus bus. More than a decade ago, LRT was shelved in favour of BRT. But now one city councillor wants to bring the LRT talk back. What say you? Staff shortages in restaurants, hotels, hospitals, coast to coast, ERs are struggling. Today, some good news from the University of Manitoba on just how many people still want to get into the nursing profession plus festivals concerts parades and more each and every one of them rely on volunteers but where are they are we walking away from that gift of time we'll have that chat and then check in with the folks at Folklorama on week two now underway the planet is spinning faster than normal what does that mean and your lost and found stories boy do we have some doozies that's all coming up on this august 8th podcast edition of the start can everybody hear me? I can hear you fine, Loren. Loud and clear. I don't hear any, I don't hear anything. This is how the week's starting, people. I see Greg is back. He's smiling. Jay's in there somewhere, but I, I don't hear anything. I don't hear music. I hear nothing.
1: Can you hear us?
0: So, Greg, take it away. <laughs>
2: oh, you can't. She, she can't hear us. She can't hear us. I don't know. You might have to run out there, run around the uh, corner there for Chase, see if you he can help. Oh, I'm you back. got it. I'm back. Uh, you button. just had to turn the
0: dial a little bit. I don't know. No, I had definitely just had the wrong button pushed. Happy Monday, everybody. Let's start this again. Macklin, <laughs> Gary, McNab. But <laughs> Gary is off this week, which is obvious because here I am, four seconds in with an inability to hit the right button. But it's so nice to see your face, Macklin.
2: Nice to see your face as well. I'd like to say it's great to be back. (laughs) But, you know, after uh, two weeks plus uh, a day off, it's not necessarily great to be back. It's good to be home, you know, when you go away. It's uh, always nice to be home. But um, let me tell you, two weeks of holidays, nothing like it. I've never done that before. Never done that before. Two straight weeks. Well, that's a lie. I've never done that while working here. I haven't done a two-week vacation since 1998.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, I think it's the way to go if you're lucky enough to be able to do that because it takes a long time to unwind, unplug, sort of get into the vacation mode. And if you're only doing a week There's a panic three days in when you realize Mm -hmm. you're basically at that halfway point. So if you can do that two weeks in a row, it's awesome. You went uh, all the way to the West Coast in the States and back. Highlights. What was the the, the top three things you saw? Oh, I
2: can't give you top three. I've got some stats for you. Okay, real quick here. Uh, How quickly you get used to driving 80 miles an hour Mm -hmm. when you cross in the border coming home yesterday. That 110 even is just like, oh my word, are we even moving? The number of wind turbines in Kansas in particular was overwhelming, blew me away. Huge solar farms in uh, California and I think in Arizona. So we did 77... 181 kilometers, 11 states, two national parks, three Major League Baseball games, 21 stops for gas, three Blue Bomber games on the Radio Player Canada app, two of those in Major League Baseball parks, one driving across Wyoming, one Wendy's, one Sonic's, Uh, One Culver's, one Jack in the Box, only one McDonald's, just one McDonald's Lorraine, and one ticket in the $1.2 billion mega millions (laughs) draw that clearly did not win. Jackie said, What are you going to do if you win? Are are you going to work on Monday? I said, well, yeah, because Brett's on holidays. Yeah, you have to be here to <laughs> I have to come. I have to come. Unless
0: can't. you gave me a cut, I'd be fine if you just wanted to give me a cut well, and not come in.
2: Listen, I, there's no way I could uh, abandon you. 1.2 billion dollars U.S. richer or otherwise. So. Uh, It's good to see your face. Good to see you. Good to see you.
0: It was nice to watch your adventures over Instagram and what have you as you and the boys and your wife did everything like you said from ballparks to Vegas to Mount Rushmore. But also along the way, we always joke and we did throughout the last two weeks about the the number of emails you sent us with little tidbits or ideas. Sorry. Unplug Mackling for goodness sakes. But, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about today are connected to what you observed on your holidays. So for example, at 637 you know, we've been talking about shortages everywhere for weeks, if not months now, in terms of staffing at all a wide variety of industries. But volunteers, no matter what the event mm-hmm. is, are taking a real hit. There's just not a lot of volunteers out there. So we want to ask why that is. And you were saying, you know, we like to think that it's a Canadian problem in terms of shortages or maybe even a Manitoba problem. But throughout the states, you were witnessing all sorts of Fascinating job postings
2: the very first stop we made, of course, I think most Manitobans do this when they 're heading south, whether it 's to grand forks or or points uh, further afield uh, in the Pembina gas station. they had a posting right on the door, seventeen dollars an hour to u s US to work at the gas station twenty dollars an hour if you worked weekend ships shifts. And then in Moab, Utah, at the McDonald's there, they were offering $19 an hour there. And also, uh, in some of our shopping excursions, we realized that the store hours were adjusted in a lot of places. Uh, they might be closed on a Wednesday or maybe a Wednesday and a Thursday. You're used to the mall opening at, at 9 or 10 o'clock, sometimes stores within the outlet mall in Carlsbad, California, in particular, they had sort of staggered starts based on the fact that they didn't have enough staff.
0: So, if you think about the math, there twenty bucks an hour at the gas station job. That's twenty four, twenty five bucks Canadian right now. That would be close to forty five to fifty thousand dollars a year to work to work at the, to the gas station. And they're still not able to bring them in. We right. talked extensively last week just about the fact that wages were going up in some sectors. And still that wasn't enough to bring staff in. So at 6.37, we're going to talk about shortages with volunteers because there was a huge festival in Montreal that was cancelled yesterday. They end the culmination of the festival that was cancelled because of the lack of volunteers. And then at 7, we're going to talk a bit about just the shortages in our healthcare system because some of it is, you know, minor. Okay, you might have to wait longer to get your gas or wait longer to get your food. But the shortages we're seeing in our ERs right now, you and I were looking at wait times in different cities throughout this country, Greg. Calgary, for example, wait times 7 to 10 hours right now in their ERs. And so I know we, we talk and ask often, does misery love company? But no, mm. I don't like to hear that this is happening anywhere.
2: No, and and clearly this is an issue. We've we've discussed this, that this is an issue straight across the country. And we'll delve into that a little bit more, as you said, in about a half hour's time here. But I'm looking at, I'm on the Alberta Health albertahealthservices.ca website, Foothills Medical Center, uh, currently a six hour, 40 minute wait time. Peter Lougheed Center, 10 hours, 34 minutes. Rocky View General Hospital, 529. South Health Campus, 5 hours, 28 minutes. So, uh, yeah, these these waits are not uncommon uh, right across our country.
0: So we'll get into wait times and ER issues at 7 o'clock. We'll have that chat about volunteers at 6.30. And then after 8, when it comes to our health care system, we're going to speak to folks at the University of Manitoba because there is some good news. I've been reading articles in the States about how applications to medical fields are way up last year and this year. More people entering medical fields. Well, what's going on with our nursing school? We're going to get into that after eight and get some numbers from them. And then uh, I almost don't want to bring this up, but uh, later today, we're also going to have a chat about LRT. (laughs)
3: Light Rapid
0: Transit versus BRT. Guess what's back? Well, that conversation is back again. We have talked extensively about shortages in hospitals and restaurants and hotels when it comes to staff. Of late, we're hearing more about a shortage of volunteers. And so we've talked to different organizers of various festivals and events throughout Manitoba this summer that have admitted, you know, in the lead up to their events, it was challenging to bring some of their volunteers back. Last week, even Sally Mishim came on the air to say they were short volunteers, either because people were hesitant to return to that position. They might've had different jobs coming out of the pandemic. So their hours have changed or... They just don't have the time, energy or even maybe the desire, Greg, to put in the volunteer hours like they used to.
2: Well, I know you and I have had the conversation as parents just getting our kids back into the activities that they were missing out on throughout the pandemic. And and I know I've wondered if, if some of us have overdone it on that front. If we really enjoyed some of the freedom that the pandemic gave us in terms of not being a slave to certain schedules. So... I also have to wonder if that is part of it. You've gotten out of certain routines and volunteering may be one of them. And yesterday in Montreal, an entire parade was cancelled because the Pride Festival didn't have enough volunteers available to help it run smoothly and keep the event safe. Global's Dan Spector explains. There were people crying, there were people devastated.
4: Montreal's Pride Festival was set to culminate with its annual parade. The past two canceled due to COVID-19. Tens of thousands of people were expected to take over rene levesque Boulevard at 1 p.m. But just after 9 a.m., Montreal Pride announced online the event was canceled due to a lack of personnel to ensure security. We came from Paris for the parade.
2: I'm speechless and baffled.
4: Matthew Velosa Quitero says his Afro Pride group spent countless hours and tens of thousands of dollars handcrafting costumes and creating a float for the
2: parade. We have people coming down from Ottawa, from Toronto. We're talking about almost 2,000
5: people that are supposed to be parading behind a truck. People are showing up last minute. And we have to announce the bad news, and it's really sad.
4: This group included refugees from countries where homosexuality is illegal, hoping to experience their first ever pride parade. This one being cancelled, it's like, uh, it's difficult for them. (laughs) Also taken aback by the news, Montreal Mayor Valerie Plante.
5: I was shocked this morning that the decision was made without even trying to find a solution, maybe even talking to us because that's what we do, we troubleshoot things.
4: We sincerely, sincerely apologize. Montreal Pride Director Simon Gamache tells Global News he learned when he woke up his organization did not have enough people to safely run the parade and the cancellation is his team's fault.
6: We have
7: to close streets and all of that to assure the safety and the safety of all participants. And unfortunately, uh, we we just don't have all those resources to do that.
4: Many we spoke to didn't buy it.
2: They know before for sure, so I don't trust him. You cannot tell me you didn't know this prior.
4: By afternoon, hundreds of devoted attendees arranged their own unsanctioned parades down St. Catherine Street, bringing lots of smiles. But organizers will be entering a tough week of questions and damage control. Dan Specter, Global News, Montreal.
2: You know, we've had plenty of discussions not only about shortages with regard to staff at certain places and volunteers, but also the idea of reactive versus proactive. I, you know, the, the the Manitoba Marathon had the issue with the weather and the heat and, and having to pull the plug on the race, uh, you know, barely an hour after it began. And so there were lots of people saying, well, you knew what the weather forecast was going to be like. You knew what was on the horizon. Why wasn't the race postponed or pushed back? And I I hear some of the same frustration in that report.
0: They woke up yesterday morning and they didn't know they weren't going to have it.
2: You realized you didn't have 80 people that you needed? No, you probably knew that much earlier in the week and uh, another call for volunteers. Who knows? But just this whole idea of waiting to the last minute when there are people... That have come a long, long way to participate in an event such as that. It seems it seems a little bit odd.
0: Those events mean so much to so many people. There's also the economic impact that these festivals aren't just about getting together and, and celebrating whatever it is you're celebrating that weekend, whether it be Pride or Folklorama. It's about getting together, but also. Uh, paying money at a restaurant, coming downtown, doing all those sorts of things. So they're a huge economic driver. And so I, I wonder this morning, and I'd like to hear from listeners, 780-6868, are you someone who used to volunteer and are just taking a break this summer? Is this a temporary thing? It's, it feels acute right now, but it's not going to be a long-term problem? Or or are we facing a situation where we'll see less volunteers? Because if I just type in volunteer shortage in the news run all across Canada, Calgary, Volunteer drought. Uh, There's a volunteer drought in food banks right across the country. We've been hearing that. There's volunteer drought in animal shelters where they're trying to bring people in to foster. People are just not putting up their hand like they used to.
2: Not only the everyday things that are required and need volunteers like the food banks and other organizations that count on the generosity of individuals to give up their time. On our way home, we stopped in the Black Hills, Mount Rushmore. It's the beginning of Sturgis tens of thousands of uh, motorcyclists and motorcycle enthusiasts coming to that part of South Dakota and businesses are ramping up. They're gearing up for that for weeks, if not months ahead of time. You mentioned the economic impact of events such as that, Loren, and that jumped out for me over the last few days uh, being in and around uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, just how much, those businesses much earn and, and garner uh, from just a couple of weeks of activity.
0: So let us know, seven eight zero sixty eight sixty. Do you volunteer? Do you still volunteer? Have you scaled back your hours? Or are you thinking about volunteering when you hear this and think, wait a minute, I could put some hours in to help because we've had this talk. The pandemic has changed so many things for so many of us. You had an adventure in your series of adventures while you were away on your road trip with your family that uh, has prompted our next conversation. Yeah. It wasn't going to
2: prompt a call to fair divorce solutions,
0: <laughs> <but> at least
2: <laughs> as it turned out. However, it could have gone a little bit differently. Uh, we were, uh, we'd made a stop and we're going through uh, our belongings. And, and Jackie says, I'm just going to are the passports. I said, well, they're in that blue bag. That's where they've been for the last 11 days. No, they're not here. I'm like, well, I sat and I filled out everything for the Arrive Canada app. And so I had everything. I'd sat right there at that desk and did it. Turned our entire hotel room upside down, unpacked every single bag. One of the boys said, I think I saw those in the, in the trunk of the car. And I said, there's no way they're in the trunk of the car because I did this last night at that desk. They have not, well, sure enough, that's exactly where they were. And I didn't do it at that desk. I'd done it at a hotel the night before. So it's amazing <laughs> how your brain and your mind and your memory, Jeff Braun, can play tricks on you. I was so oh, yeah. certain I'd done it a certain place, and that wasn't the case at all. That's part In of the your problem. your defense... Like,
7: all hotel rooms sort of look the same. So, Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> that mistake was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. But the difference, I don't know, Braun, he and his wife had convinced themselves that they had sat there. It wasn't just like Greg was tricking himself. Nope. Half the family was like, well, no, they can't be anywhere else. But they have no not room. left this room.
7: The other key part of the story is when you said they've been in that bag for the past 11 days, 11 days into any road trip with your family, you're all going to go a little bit squirrely. Come on. Fair.
0: All right, that's fair. Okay, so we're going to go around the horn here. This is for not you guys. You guys can't win any of these landmark passes, but we'd like to give some away. So for our listeners, send us a text, seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. The time you lost something and looked everywhere and found it, you know, days, weeks, months later, or just found it in an unusual spot, or maybe it's the spot you should have looked at in the first place. Uh, Bron, let's start with you, seeing how you had a good chuckle over Greg.
7: Yeah, well, usually I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm a... a... A place for everything and everything in its place kind of guy. And I live by myself, so there are no other outward forces, you know, moving stuff. If, if it's, anything is anywhere, it's because I put it there. But when I was a teenager, I had a real sleepwalking problem for a couple of years. <laughs> and it was the middle of the night, and I'd been up, I'd been sleepwalking. I, I think I just got up to go to the bathroom, but then other stuff apparently happened. And my dad finally woke up because I was rummaging all through the house. And he comes out, and he's like, what are you doing? And I said they stole my blanket he's like what who i was like i don't know oh. robbers they broke into the house and stole my blanket because it wasn't on my bed my big comforter I was like i went i said i went to the bathroom and i came back and it was gone they stole it and he's like oh my god what's going on with this kid and <laughs> we looked around for a while then we found it in the bathtub i do, i guess i was just part of the sleepwalking business there unless there was some master thief that just took the bed off my the thing off my bed and put it in the bathroom, but I doubt it. So it's, yeah, found it in the found it in the tub, where uh, the last place you'd look. We search through that whole house for my plate.
0: Well, that that's the part like you'll go looking and you completely ignore spaces. That don't make they, sense. That don't make sense. Because you're, you're why, right. why on earth? Like when I say I have put the remote in the fridge, I have done that on more than one occasion. And now it's like my second place I look under the couch, then I go to the fridge because I've been had it in my hand <laughs> and I set it down. But it's not logical to look in the fridge. Have you ever slept, walk again? Uh,
7: not, not well, I don't know because I live by myself. So maybe I do and I just don't know
0: it. <laughs> that could
7: be. But uh, when I was a teenager, it happened a few times. I'd go, my grandma lived with us and she'd said I'd come downstairs and have like, full conversations with her, and she'd be like, she could tell that I was sleepwalking, and she'd just sort of let it go and (laughs) suggest, why don't you go back to bed, Jeff?
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, Fortier, how about you? You're a pretty organized guy too, Jeff.
7: Yeah,
1: I I like to think I am. For me, it was losing my keys was last winter, and uh, the night before I went out for a walk, and I had my ski pants on, and so when I woke up in the morning, because I take a cab to work in the morning, and so they call me when they're downstairs, and... That call and you know go to pick up my wallet, my keys, get everything my my pockets, and I cannot find my keys anywhere, and I'm freaking out because the cabs here they're not gonna wait. I got to get to work. It's you know five fifteen, five twenty in the morning, and I don't have time to be searching around for my keys. So you know I thought like went for a walk last night. They got to be either my jacket or my ski pants. Go into my closet, look at my ski pants, which I had hanging on my hamper in my uh, closet. Not in there. So I'm freaking out. And so I start tearing things apart. Finally, long story short, go into my closet and I rip out my hamper out of the closet. And there they were behind the hamper.
2: Oh, God, the relief. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, I feel the relief for you, Jeff. Absolutely. I was missing one of our car key fobs for our car. And and, uh, anyway, Jackie was tidying up a couple days before she came away. And she found the key fob and a pair of jeans. And those key fobs are expensive mm-hmm. to replace—three, well, yeah. mm-hmm. four, five hundred bucks, right?
1: And I don't have a spare key either. And I can't like it's like I said, five fifteen in the morning. I'm not gonna wake up my landlord. There you so go. So All right. Keys.
0: It's it's something that happens to our short term memory where, where we completely. I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I will. I've said this before. I'm not organized. <laughs> I think that's clear. And I will, but I'll put things away in the same spot for safekeeping. I always say to my husband, I put it away for safekeeping, and it's the same. spot spot but I didn't I did not put it there because if it was there it'd be there and it never is somewhere on my way to the safekeeping spot that I call it I have just set it down somewhere and then I've erased that from my memory and that can be really big things we we lost for two years some gift cards that were given to us at our wedding discovered them two years later these series of Home Depot cards and so you know we, we that was hundreds of dollars worth of money just lost it I've lost the passport before for weeks on end haven't been able to find that and more recently I don't know if this happens to you guys where I will lose clothing items for years on end like where is my favorite pair of jeans or my favorite dress and I had this pair of shorts I wore a lot last summer and up until last week was looking for them couldn't find them couldn't find them couldn't find them did I give them away did I give them away finally just all of a sudden just sitting there on the shelf there they are guess what they don't fit that so i spent like the last eight weeks looking for them and then i had the whole crushing moment of like oh <laughs> 2022 summer loren is a little larger than 2021 so
7: i always have th- i have the opposite problem where i f- continually find clothes in my closet and i don't know where they came from and it's- i'll be wearing a shirt like a surprise outfit like, that's it a- yeah it's like oh that's a nice shirt where'd you get i was like i have no idea i think <laughs> Maybe my dad left it here the last time they came to visit because he'll do that sometimes.
2: The blanket <laughs> robber is planting shirts in your in your closet sure. or your other dresser, Jeff.
0: I like how you also wear it with zero qualms. This could be someone else's shirt, but they're not getting it back now. So found it in my closet. <laughs> this topic came up in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, Greg. It came up again about 15 years ago, the idea of bringing Light rail transit to Winnipeg.
2: I'm a little bit of a geek on this stuff. So I also know that in the 1950s, the city studied the feasibility of a subway mm-hmm. system in Winnipeg. Mayor Stephen Juba first envisioned a monorail system back in the early 1960s. Something, a vision that he held on to the, basically the entire time he held office as mayor of Winnipeg. But in the end, Winnipeg opted to go with an expanded BRT system, not LRT, not monorail, not subway, and bus rapid transit was the name of the game since the 1970s with the first extension on Jubilee opening in 20. 20- 12 at after at least one false start and the second leg and loren this is really the completion of the first leg of BR, brt to the university open in april of 2022 and conversations and consultations continue around other brt lines bus is the future that's what we've been told but now One city councilor thinks we should take another look at LRT at least on one major thoroughfare. Brian Mays, in a piece in his community paper last week, said, I think we can bypass the BRT stage and move to LRT, at least for the St. Mary's Main Street line. We're joined now by said Councillor St. Patel, Councillor Brian Mays. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. So before we get to this proposal and this v- vision, what it might look like, tell us where things sit right now with regard to other possible BRT lines with the, with the vision for Winnipeg Transit moving forward.
3: Well, we did pass the Transit Master Plan, the latest of many that have been passed um, about a year ago that looked at just... Ex- Mostly it just keeping buses on the street, not like the kind of uh, dedicated line we've got going out to U of M that you just talked about. so um, none of that's coming this year or next year it's it's all kind of conceptual, but instead of the original idea of the six dedicated lines, it's kind of been watered down or simplified to something more on street. So um, I kind of feel like we've we've dithered and and missed the generation to do BRT. And it might be time now to look at moving to the light rail.
0: Okay. So there was part of me that wanted to, I'll admit, pull out my hair when I read this proposal, Brian, only because your, your op-ed, because we've had this conversations as Greg pointed out so many times before, but I will allow the city is changing. Our attitudes might be changing. Our bottom line might be changing. Population is changing. So walk me through on a numbers level, why you think LRT might be the future, if not for Winnipeg, at least for this section of Winnipeg.
3: Yeah, I mean, in 2005, then Councillor Russ Wyatt had led this study for the city that talked about, well, let's, no, let's go with BRT because, you know, and given our size and, and we can put that in and eventually move to light rail. And here we are almost 20 years later and we did do the one line, but that's all that's been done or even started. So, I think with the growth in the city over the last 20 years um, and knowing that this this is going to take a long time to build or, I mean, be, building a whole BRT network would take decades. So let's just say, you know what, Ottawa started its BRT in 84 with the idea of starting to replace it when they hit a million people. Well, I kind of feel like we can skip that 40-year phase and just go, let's just start planning for the lrt now I, I i think had the brt been started in 84 like ottawa then then we'd have a network in place but to start a network now just seems to me short-sighted like let's move on and and look at the next phase i remember my parents taking me out to edmonton in 78 to watch the commonwealth games and they had just opened their lrt so that's 40 plus years ago so i mean other cities have been doing this for decades
2: yeah and we could lament and uh, you and i and loren and listeners we could probably do a two-hour program on the false starts and the false promises and and the the places that we wish we were now but we are where we are so what does lrt look like uh, counselor mays on saint mary's road i'm trying to imagine uh the ability to even accommodate a light rail line on what is already a very congested section of Winnipeg Roadway, in particular, you know, once you come in to St. Vitale over that Main Street Bridge all the way to the uh, St. Anne, St. Mary's uh, break-off.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, it's been interesting going door to door. People have, people have read the piece. People start asking me these sorts of questions, and I'm not sure if you have enough room south of the St. Vitale Centre, but I think, I think going down the middle, that's where the streetcars were ironically, and you know, forties, fifties uh, in Saint Vital. So, um in fact, even earlier than that. So, I think you have to go. To, you'd go down the middle. What what does that mean? It probably means you sacrifice some car parking. Um, you do have some room where you could widen out a bit. Um, but yeah, the, the real congestion starts where you're saying Saint Mary's and Saint Anne's north of that. This was discussed in the 2005 study of what to do with transit and not much really ever got done on that stretch. So I'd, I'd like to see something done. And this seems like it's expensive. I, I agree it's uh, it's been kicked around for decades, but it's it's at least worth looking at, not just for my war, but going going all the way up Main Street as well.
0: I don't mind the vision, and I think as we enter this election, we're going to have to talk about what do we think the future of Winnipeg looks like? What we, what do we want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now? And transit has always been part of that conversation. You'll have to be reelected, Councillor Mays, before this can go any further, really. But at, as a starting point, do we have any sense of what the cost would be even just for this line to move it to LRT at this stage?
3: I don't at this stage. I know Hamilton's getting over a billion in federal dollars. So that's one of the things that made me think, well, this we should at least look at this to say, okay, is it is it just beyond our grasp? Or is it within, if we get federal help and provincial help, could this work? I think you'd also have to do a Portage and Provence line. It wouldn't be fair just to, to do the one line going north-south, I think east-west as well. and And that would add to the cost as well. But I do feel like if if we're just going to be spend twenty years building a BRT network and the day after you finish you start converting it to LRT, then that doesn't seem like money well spent. So let's let's okay. see if we've if if we've delayed too long. And I agree, we you could talk about this for hours. And there was a dandy map from the nineteen fifties about a subway system, but uh, it might be time to say, look, we missed the boat on BRT. So let's let's cost out what it would take to do LRT
2: Well I can't wait to see the conversation at least take place it's frustrating for someone of my age and I think we're in mostly the same generation counselor i uh, I've been looking and studying and investigating Winnipeg Transit's future plan since I was in grade 2 or 3 and brt brt on Pemina highway was something that i'd heard about since i was a little kid and to imagine that we've just finally completed that now and have nothing else started uh, really is frustrating is is only one word that i can come up with and the best one that i can use on the air keep us uh keep us abreast of further developments on this brian
3: yeah thank you and that's that's a fair comment and everyone from Len Marie Russ White has talked to me about this idea, and you know, there's something it's worth studying at least. And it's uh, you've been generous in not criticizing me for voting to go ahead with BRT in 2012, but even that's 10 years ago, 2013. Like it's time has passed here, and I think before we launch a billion dollar BRT, you got to pause and say, is that is that still worth doing?
0: But someone will say along the way, and you you sure certainly will be prepared for this. Sure, you voted to extend BRT in 2014. That is eight years ago, but you're going to hear a lot of I told you so's out there because there were those even back then that said this is the wrong idea, Councillor Mays.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Russ was one of them, as a matter <laughs> of fact. So um, and he has called me since that column him. Um, but, you know, I, fair enough. But uh, I think in 2014, I remember Councillor Gibran saying, remember, this is part of a network and we really haven't moved forward on a network. So. And we've been growing, so time to take a look at uh, LRT. Even even if people say, "I told you so," to me, that's that's fair. But um, it, it, it's a big dollar amount, to, and let's not let's not head off on a direction that uh, that maybe we've we've bypassed.
2: One of our listeners says, "Airships for Winnipeg Transit." That way, you don't have to worry about potholes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll just leave it there, Councillor.
3: People are talking about potholes at the door. That is that is a fair point.
0: Councillor Mays, thank you for the
3: time. Okay, thank you.
0: Let us know what you think. 780-6868. BRT back to LRT. What do you, what would you like to see when it comes to transit?
2: Something, anything. Any
0: movement. I, when I look back and try to figure out the dates for these things and when we had these conversations when the vote took place, it's mind-boggling. It's that, embarrassing that, is that, what it that is. That leg to U of M just opened in 2020, that we had this vote back in 2008, 2009, 2010, that we talked LRT back then as well. That said, I will have allowances for nothing's moved forward that much. The city has changed. Do we revisit LRT? When COVID hit about two and a half years ago, our health care system, as we know, was put under the microscope But instead of people turning away from careers in the medical field, which you think might have happened, applications to become doctors, nurses, and more, they actually jumped in several places across North America.
2: Yeah, in the fall of 2019, there were 280 applications for the 120 spots at the University of Manitoba Nursing Program. This fall, 447 people had applied. Nitha Dick is the Dean of the College of Nursing at the U of M and joins us now. Good morning, Nitha. Good morning. So what are you hearing from students as to why we're seeing that increase? Why do they want to go into this vocation?
6: Well, first of all, we're really delighted uh, with the significant increase in the number of applicants to our University of Manitoba Bachelor of Nursing program. We've increased, as you noted, from about two applicants per seat to about four applicants per seat over the past two years. And what we're hearing from our prospective students uh, is that it's about their desire to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, Students have had a greater exposure to the work of nurses during the past few years as the role of nurses and the profession of nursing has been front and centre in the media during the pandemic. And, you know, while the nurses' work is is very stressful, it's also very rewarding and meaningful. So when they hear about the concerns related to the shortage of nurses, many feel compelled to contribute and to make a difference. And they're excited about the opportunity to provide care and service to patients and families that are in need.
0: Well, there's certainly going to be a job for them when they come out of that program, giving all we hear, uh, Dr. Neetha Dick. But I'm curious, you know, we talk about the increase in applicants. So you say there's, you know, kind of a 60% increase here, which is excellent to hear. But I'm curious, is that because we've also added more spots? Because I know that was part of the equation for the province. We need to beef up our nurses. And so we're going to add more spots at the university. Or is this for the same number of spots that we're seeing this type of increase?
6: Uh, the increase comes with the same number of seats that were available we will be however addressing the uh, playing our part in contributing to addressing the nursing shortage by adding a third intake of 120 students so that will start uh, our first in additional intake will be in may of 2023 so the additional applicants are actually coming ahead of uh, our uh, seat increase but the opportunity will be for them now right now the the have to wait for some time to get into our program given the uh, high number of applications Mm -hmm. to the program and this way they'll be able to enter the program earlier. We'll be admitting 120 students in September, another 120 students in January and now adding that additional third intake of 120 students in May.
2: Our guest is Dr. Neetha Dick, the Dean of College of Nursing at the University of Manitoba. And uh, Dr. Dick, I, I, you know, I went to university in the early 1990s, had lots of friends that went through medical school, nursing school, and a great number of them ended up leaving Manitoba in the mid-1990s in particular. Do we anticipate the same issue here, getting educated in Manitoba and then applying this trade, this calling, as it were, elsewhere?
6: You know, we're very fortunate that our graduates are staying in the province and contributing to care and service here in our own healthcare system. So, 97% of our graduates uh, are employed in Manitoba, and that has been for decades already. So, we're really fortunate. There's always a few that will be leaving the province for mostly for family reasons, um, but, um, you know, 97% are working here in the province and, and making a great contribution.
0: I, you know, I've been fortunate to have some great nurses in both my time in and out of hospital when I had my kids and I have family members who are are in the system right now. And we'll talk about the frontline staff being exceptional despite the challenges. But I have to say, honestly, when I reached out, part of my question was why in this time, in this time frame, what do you think is the singular thing that's keeping people coming to you Dr. Dick because it is such a trying position and the fixes aren't quick. I thought it might be the opposite that people would be saying no thank you I don't want to have anything to do with this profession.
6: Yes and I think that was a, a common perception but mm-hmm. the, the reality is that uh, you know it is really uh, uh, many of you really feel compelled to um, contribute and make a difference. They're really interested in in the work of nurses and our profession of nursing, and making a difference to patients and families. And so we're really fortunate that that we have that level of interest. It's very encouraging and inspiring really to see that there is such a strong interest Mm -hmm. in our profession of nursing.
0: It's good to hear because we're going to need them. Dr. Neetha Dick, Dean College of Nursing, Rady Faculty of Health Sciences. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it and all you do there.
6: Thank you for your interest.
2: It really is a calling, Loren. Yeah. There's so many nurses uh, that I've known over the years and have interacted with, as you referenced, uh, you know some of the things that you've gone through recently and, and in the distance past, distant past, there's just something special about someone that does this for a living. It, it, it is a way of life, no question about it.
0: Let us know what you think. Do you have someone in your life who's leaving nursing or getting into nursing? Because it's also happening on the other end. We have had the union say, they're seeing a growing number of people leaving the profession, but it's wor- heartwarming to hear that you're seeing that doubling of applications at the U of M. So many great Blue Bomber fans out there, but there are those that are getting on the bandwagon, Greg, because why not? The winds keep coming, heading for a wi- could be 10-0 and this week, but in the meantime, we've talked a lot about the wins. We've also talked a lot about the schedule, and it's another week for the Bombers without a break.
2: That's right. It's the Blue Bombers' look to match a club record set way back in 1960 with their 10th straight 1-0 and week. The team is also looking forward to some much-needed time off. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Blue Bombers, and DT, the phrasing is important here in my mind because we want to make it clear there is and must be a difference in the way the Blue Bombers approach the upcoming bye week, looking forward is different than looking ahead to some time off. Fair to say?
8: Yeah, this, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in there with with wordplay and stuff. And we're always focused. And football players, it's a common refrain, right? We're only thinking about this week. We're not thinking about the fact that it's our first bye week in 11 weeks. And other teams have had two bye weeks. And we've had no chance to rest or get you know, that extra time to get healthy and all uh, it's it's a big deal. Bombers are nine and zero through nine straight games in this current version of the Canadian Football League. Right? Old days teams used to play seventeen weeks in a row, sure, but uh, to go nine and zero through all these injuries and zero buys, even more impressive than you know this once in sixty two years thing run that they're on. Oh my goodness!
0: Well, actually, Greg shared this morning a stat that Dave Naylor tweeted out, and that's that the Blue Bombers have gained one. Mm. One more yard on offense than they have surrendered surrendered defensively, so that shouldn't be a stat for an undefeated team. That would be a stat for a 500 team.
8: It's so strange, right? And you're right. That's that's absolutely the case. But it's it's something that if you're a bobber fan even watching, you're like, yeah, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Look at the way Edmonton walked the ball up and down the field in a certain section of the field. Right once they got to the 20 yard line, Edmonton's offense was done for the day. Uh man, Montreal wasn't the best example of, of a team able to move the ball. But then, again, neither was Winnipeg in, in that game this past week. But teams have been able to move the ball uh, on them. However, they're, they're stuck settling for field goals because either they choke out in the final 20 yards or the Bombers step it up in the final 20 yards. It, it's just one of those weird things that's been going on all season long of, yeah, we'll give you some, but you can't have the whole thing there. Their zero one three philosophy of how they play defense—it's—it's it's really showing up. But yeah, I, I love that stat of of you know what—a uh, lot of yards, but uh, not a lot of points. <laughs>
2: Uh, DT, I I was crisscrossing uh, the United States. I I listened to the the last three road wins, uh, one in Kansas City at a Royals game, uh, the other at a Padres game in San Diego, and then the latest win in Montreal driving across Wyoming. And the Blue Bombers have been crisscrossing the country as of you time zones, lack of practice and recovery time, winning trumps all. But do you get a sense that the team has actually thrived and maybe even perhaps enjoyed this stretch of the schedule? where they've managed to just to continue to win and and the next man up continues to do the job expected of them?
8: Well, I, I think you have to. Right? I think you have to believe that they have because, well, they're 9-0, right, regardless of, of how they got there. And they've had some ugly wins. Like this one, three interceptions from Zach Kolaris and, and uh, troubles on offense. You go, and yet they still found a way. Edmonton a couple weeks ago, seven completions by the offense. They couldn't move the ball much at all and yet they still win they're they're not all pretty uh they're not all rosy not everybody's. everything's the 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 good feeling uh victory that you know you'd love to have where calgary right where you you fought through trials and tribulations and they were down and to a really good team but they they fought back and and eventually you know pulled away with that one i think they have to just absolutely love where they're at cause, well, it's, it's three wins more than any other team. Other teams have had pretty wins. BC had a pretty uh, blowout win over Edmonton uh, this this weekend. But uh, they're 6-1, and, and they've lost to the Bombers. So, yeah, however you get to 9-0, I got to feel like they feel pretty great about it.
0: Yeah, well, they're feeling pretty good. Your dog sounds like he's feeling pretty good, or she's feeling pretty good about things right now, Derek. Before we let you go, you know, you talked about it being like not the perfect win, not pretty wins. The last one was ugly, or at least it started off fairly lug- ugly. Will that be where questions you go for the coach tonight? Coach a show from seven to eight here on CJOB.com. What what kind of things do you think you'll hear from fans tonight?
8: I suspect we'll have uh, like this is three straight games where the run game has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Brady Oliveira looked dynamite again. I suspect. We'll have some in that. We'll have questions about, hey, what was Zach seeing or not seeing? Because three interceptions and a fumble is is something worth talking about. Uh, but, uh, I mean, when you, like you say, first time since 1960, they could be 10-0. and 0. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of praise for Coach O'Shea and company tonight.
2: Uh, what are you doing with the bye week? Not that you're looking ahead to anything other than Thursday night. Do you, <laughs> you, you got to drive back to Regina to get to, some more stuff? Or are you done with that?
8: No, I was up till probably 2.30 or so, just going through, uh, through plays and stuff. So I got a ton of catching up to do in that. So honestly, uh, a lot of it will be in front of the computer and TV. Uh, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, uh, you know, just playing some, some catch up on the season thus far. See how the other teams are doing. See who might stand in the Bombers' way after they they do go 10-0 in my mind.
0: I thought you were going to answer it more like a player or the coach. I can't look. We're just taking this one get, game at a time. <laughs> See... No,
8: three weeks ago, I'm like, if they beat Calgary <laughs> two weeks ago, they're going to go 10-0 into the bye. Like, I was just, because I, I can mouth <laughs> off. I don't gotta, I don't have to back anything up, right? But I'm going to seem like a genius when I pull up that clip. If they do, in fact, go 10-0 on Thursday, I'm going to love it.
0: What human says, I don't look ahead to vacations until vacations come or weeks off. I know it's not a vacation for you, Derek, but maybe just a little break yeah. from the travel. But probably no break from all the studying you do. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Derek Taylor, of course, our voice, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, super pumped for the game. I love I love a Thursday night game, too, personally. Well, I love
2: a Thursday night Except game Except for our as schedule, well. I yeah, know. But. If it weren't for the fact we both have to work on Friday morning, I'd be looking forward to it even more. But I think uh, the crowd uh, was just on uh, Ticketmaster uh, checking out the available tickets. It's looking as though, you know, there are some good seats still available, as Bob Irving and Wade Miller might say. Uh, but uh, the fans seem to be coming out in droves to support this team and and why not look what they've done and to be 10 and oh they're wearing those those new uh they're gonna what are they calling them the retro or mm-hmm. alternate jerseys with the with the big w on the front and uh listen this is a very good football team and i don't you know you don't need to hear that from me but the opportunity to get on in on a little bit of history never mind what they've done over the last 2 years what they're doing this year is very special because they're doing it in a different way this is a team that's been been bombarded by injuries and they're not steamrolling over teams and they're finding different ways to win every week and and to me that that's almost more enjoyable than the steamroller thing because it, it's
0: fun to watch because it you, is. you think it, I said Thursday night uh-oh this is the game they're going to lose off that hop and then suddenly we're back in it and we're back in it right to the finish back and forth back and forth right so that was fun and of course Greg you had to have heard that horn from wherever you were Thursday night.
2: Heard about it. It didn't show up nearly as much on the radio That's broadcast. That's why when you
0: were listening to us and then Brett said the same thing too. When you listen to us, not so bad. If you watched it on TV, not so great. Eve is reminding us that we need to come up with something Thursday to to bring it loud and proud. Not just with our cheering but, you know, set up some sort of
2: Something to counter the horn. Well, DT, uh, I'm surprised didn't bring up Vuvuzela because I think he brought up Vuvuzela in uh, one of his first conversations with us since becoming the voice of the Blue Bombers. I don't know if the Bombers are going to get behind a Vuvuzela giveaway, but uh, cowbells, they might uh, get after that. They might be all in favor of, of a cowbell giveaway or people bringing their cowbells.
0: So many of you have been talking about the fun you've been having at Folklorama, the food you've been eating, the music that you've been dancing to. I love all the shares on Twitter and other social media platforms, Greg, of just what people are getting up to when they're at Folklorama, whether hitting the stage or singing or dancing. But uh, for me, it is all about the food. And of course, to bring week two, which has 12 new pavilions across the city. It just got underway last night. They can't do it without a whole host of volunteers lining up to help them out.
2: I'd like to see more pictures of those volunteers versus the politicians. With all due respect sure. to our po- political friends, uh, those are the people that really make Folklorama tick. And uh, volunteers are such a critical part of the success of this annual celebration of Winnipeg's dynamic multicultural landscape. And Lizzie Kovach is a spokesperson for the Hungry Pannonia Pavilion, which takes place at the RBC Convention Centre. Lizzie joins us now.
5: Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys?
2: We're doing really well. Now, I wanted to make sure that we, we scheduled this conversation late enough in the morning that so that you could recuperate <laughs> from night one. I heard from one of your longtime volunteers that the food line was as long as she's seen in a long time. How was night one from your point of view, Lizzie?
5: Uh, absolutely, and first of all, I'd like to thank you for giving me a little bit of time to get some rest. It was a really late <laughs> night. Uh, I think we were on a bit of a high from the sheer fact that we did not know what to expect this year and our night one last night we blew it out of the water we've never seen such a big crowd um we've never sold so much food on the first night so it was incredible we're so appreciative of the support and obviously super appreciative of the volunteers as you had mentioned earlier we're very lucky most of our food actually all of our food uh is made by our volunteers and it's it when you get to actually Sample it. It is, is exactly what you would receive at one of our homes if you were to come over for a family meal.
0: Okay, so if we were over for a family meal or heading to the pavilion tonight, what would be on the table?
5: Well, there's a lot of goodness. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to actually bring to our menu is a sampling platter that really does cover off a lot of the dishes. Uh, anyone who's been to my mom's place knows her cabbage rolls are fantastic, and usually there's a big pot of them. So on our platter, we do have our mouth-watering cabbage rolls, which won the food wars a few years back. We also have our popular langos, which is a deep-fried bread, mm-hmm. our homemade sausage. Um, and so it gives a little bit of everything uh, to sample. And, of course, we also have some amazing desserts. We are featuring two famous Hungarian desserts, which is a torta. It's like a It's a layer cake, and dobos means drum. I and mean, you actually see the cake in its whole entirety. It looks like a drum because there's this hard candy shell on top. Uh, and then our kameh mesh, which is a custard-based dish, which is amazing. Uh,
0: Greg, you scheduled this late enough for her so you could have a, a rest after a late night. But it's too early for me because now I'm starving. So I don't want to be mad. But I don't know why I do this to myself probably every day, Greg.
2: Well, this is just uh, par for the course here, Lizzie. So uh, you can't see us drooling all over the microphone. But uh, trust us. I am we- frantically Googling. Fried bread. I'm like, what? what?" (laughs) I heard. I heard a little bit of an extra reaction from Loretta. It was under the radar, but I was like, oh yeah, she's googling the fried bread. Hey, Lizzie, how long have you been involved with this pavilion with the hungry
5: Pannonia? Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. Uh, this is actually my fortieth year wow. dancing with the group. Uh, I've been part of the dance group for a really long time. I've actually lost track uh, how long I've been teaching, and I've been co-coordinating for the last five years. But have been a big part of this community, and I'm really fortunate. And my brother, my mom, and dad have been involved this entire time, and I think it's really great that. Our parents have passed on this legacy to us. We love the music. We have a live band that's here from Hungary. They're fantastic. So another really great piece. But our parents have really instilled the importance of culture and passing on those legacies and It's really great uh, to see all this come together and see all the families back together. It's been a couple of long years, but last night was extremely rewarding for all of us.
0: Well, what we're hearing from the various pavilions, Lizzie, and and you're again for our listeners just joining the Hungary Pannonia Pavilion, is that the demand to get to Folklorama is huge, but there was a challenge for some folks and, and for some pavilions to restart after this two- year break, to get their pavilions Absolutely. up and running again, because volunteers might not be coming back in the same way that they did for a whole host of reasons. What were you hearing from volunteers Correct. like in the lead up to this, Lizzie?
5: Uh, you know, it was we are really lucky. We have um, a lot of people who have come back, and we understand that there have been some challenges. Uh, we were sad to hear that so many pavilions were not going to be participating this year because it's such a big annual event for the communities and such a focal point for those cultural groups. Uh, we were, you know, initially we thought we weren't going to be able to have enough people, but we've been able to go through the Rolodex and, of course, even reach out to some of our past dancers and past supporters who may not have helped out in a long time, and they were really appreciative to get the call. So uh, we're extremely lucky. Our kitchen is... We, we have some staples there. We've got our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles who've been there helping. Uh, and now slowly they're passing the reins to the next generation as well. So it's nice to see some of that succession. And again, I think it goes back to having families instill the importance of culture so that we can continue to keep that volunteer funnel full.
2: Yeah, it's such a wonderful part of Winnipeg, a celebration of these communities that make our community tick. And I, I said this, you know, at the beginning of the, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, Ukrainian culture is Manitoba culture now, and Hungarian yeah, I- culture has become a part of Manitoba culture. And you could go through the long list, including the Egyptian pavilion, which is also at the RBC convention center. How convenient is is that, to have two pavilions under one roof, essentially?
5: It's fantastic because people can park and, and stay for the evening and not have to worry about driving to the next venue. I think that's one of the, sometimes the deterrence for people to get from one to another is there is a big rush in between, but the convenience of having two venues in the convention center is fantastic because you'll have folks that will go from one pavilion to the next, and it's a great way to cross-promote each other's culture. I think it's amazing.
0: All right, so if we want to head there tonight, what's the timing?
5: Okay, so we have three shows, 6.45, 8.15, and 9.45. Uh, I would recommend if you are interested in trying some of our amazing food, and I forgot to talk about the bar no. as well.
0: Okay, you can. Oh, the bar. <laughs> so we're just going to really do this to me now. Okay. I thought uh, you meant like yes, a dessert because- bar, but you mean
5: a drink bar. Yes, so we were not able to get in a lot of the imports we would typically bring in, and We've had to work with some of our friends and the Baltic brothers who are part of the Polish community who were extremely close to uh, came in to help us out a little bit because we've been able to use one of their spirits, to which is very similar to one of the Hungarian ones. And then what we did was we put a twist on... Some of the items that we already have. So we've made some really refreshing cocktails, and they pair extremely well with the food. They they purposely paired it to go with the deep fried bread and all the deliciousness of the cabbage rolls and sausage. So I hope you guys will have time to stop by.
0: Išten hotza? Am I saying that right? Išten And what and what
5: did I hopefully? What does that mean? So that means god brought you essentially it's a it's a nice way to it's almost a blessing welcome to our guests that come in
0: i read that cold i was worried halfway through that i might just be saying some sort of hungarian swear nope. that gets yelled out at the end of the <laughs> at the end of phone <laughs> nice. thank you so much for your time Good we appreciate this and greg
2: lizzie how do you say cheers in hungarian oh that's way too many <laughs> words can we shorten that <laughs> <so long>? <laughs> So let's say just say see ya there we go see you later <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks lizzie this was wonderful we appreciate this and uh and uh hopefully the week continues as uh one uh, night one did
5: yes thank you so much i appreciate the time have a great day
0: lizzie kovach spokesperson for the hungry pannonia pavilion has us all starving right now Fried bread, drinks, dance. There's also the Egyptian Pavilion, which I think is down at the same location, Greg, and a whole host mm-hmm. of others that you can hit up the Africa Pavilion, Celtic Ireland, Canadian Francais, Italian, all lots to visit. So, focalrama.ca is where you go for your information. I can't decide. I just sent Greg a text. Maybe not. Maybe I should pick someone else because we collaborate on this, but there's been so many good stories coming in this morning from our listeners. It started off, Greg, basically you lost your passports for a brief period of time this
2: yeah could not find them anywhere but we were calm methodical and one of the boys said i think i saw them in the trunk no
0: they're not in the trunk
2: <laughs> they haven't even been out in the trunk anyway of course they were in the trunk the last place they were supposed to be but it, yeah it got us uh off on this conversation of things lost and then found in the most peculiar spots and boy have you ever stepped up with some incredible stories this morning
0: okay so take jeans away here
2: while water skiing at a friend's cottage in Lacloo during the 1980s, my father-in-law had his agriculture graduation ring from 1951 slip off his finger, never to be seen again. Or so he thought. Fast forward 10 years later, the friends' grandkids are out on the water and the ring was found. At 93, he still wears it with pride, To this day, and I think maybe, Gene, if you would have told us how it was found, you might have found a way to slide into our first place uh, ranking here this morning. Yeah, they
0: were out on the water, but were they digging in the sand? Did they step on it? Because Mm -hmm. that's what's incredible. And so the detail of this story is why Eric is our winner. I'm going to kick off the first part, and then you carry it away. So first of all, Eric says, When my grandpa Athens passed away in 1980, my grandma passed his wedding ring down to me. Many years later, when I got married, we decided to use my grandpa's wedding ring as my wedding ring because of its meaning. I'm not a jewelry kind of person and I work out in my shop a lot, so I never wear my ring in the shop. 2014, I decided to go out to the shop to do something quick, get out there, realize I still have my ring on, so I quickly take it off and put it in my pocket. After finishing what I'm doing, I wash my hands, go to put my ring on, and much to my horror, it is not in my pocket. Eric
2: says, I was absolutely sick to my stomach. I searched everywhere, retraced my steps. My wife and friend came down to the shop. No luck. For an entire year, I never took the garbage out of my shop. I went through everything. My wife even bought me a metal detector in case my ring found its way on the gravel driveway. I was devastated. Again, fast forward about a year. I'm working on my beloved 1937 Dodge truck, working on some wiring under the dash. There I am, laying on my back on the floorboards, take one of my many screwdrivers to loosen a wire, and there... Stuck on the end of the screwdriver is my wedding ring, and yes, I immediately took a picture. I guess I put the screwdriver in my pocket when I actually did have the ring, it fit perfectly on the end of the screwdriver. When I put the the screwdriver back in the toolbox, it was at the back, and I just never used it for an entire year. We certainly celebrated that, and a few tears of joy were shed. I'm feeling emotional yes. reading it the odds
0: of so you put the ring in your pocket. the odds of the ring then sticking to the bottom of the, you know, getting caught in the bottom of the screwdriver. Wow. And then to not use that screwdriver for a year, it could have gone a lot longer than that. So, Eric, you are our winner. You're going to get a family four-pass tickets and treats, landmark cinemas. The movie is Gulliver's Travels Enjoy. Thank you all for your feedback this morning. It's been tremendous.
2: Well, if it feels like you're losing time in your day... You might be right. <laughs> this from a story in Global News, uh, globalnews.ca. Scientists claim that on June 29th, 2022, the Earth spun faster than normal, making it the shortest day recorded since the 1960s. Now you'd likely know the average day is 24 hours long, or exactly 86,400 seconds. According to CBS who spoke to Leonid Zotov, a scientist at the Sternberg Astronomical Institute of Lomonosov Moscow State University, June 29th, was 1.59 milliseconds shorter. Scott Young, planetariums astronomer at the Manitoba Museum, is our guest. Scott, I want my 1.59 millisecond back. What's going on here? We, need,
9: we all need discounts on <laughs> rent and that, that yes. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, for, for a world that still messes around with daylight savings time where we, you know, add and subtract an hour a day, worrying about milliseconds seems pretty minor.
0: So when we hear this, what do we make of it then? Like when we Obviously, it's being documented and noted for a reason. What would be the takeaway as to well, why does this matter?
9: Well, I guess there's a couple of things. First of all, it kind of tells us that our scientific and, uh, you know, measuring equipment and stuff like that has gotten really, really precise. We used to just care about, you know, the, the sun rises and the sun sets and the day is 24 hours long, and, and we've got these clocks that measure that. Well, now we have such precise clocks that can measure down to this really, really fraction of a second, um, and that basically reveals to us that the Earth is not the perfect clock that we thought it is. Um, The Earth is spinning in space. It actually takes 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4 seconds to rotate once, but then some other factors with the sun and our orbit around the sun sort of make things add up to 24 hours on average um, over the course of a year. And so we like just having big round numbers like that. Um, in fact, that's where you know, we defined it as 24 hours and sort of worked back from there. And the definition of the second was worked back from there. Now we realize the Earth has longer-term uh, changes, and we're now discovering it even has shorter-term changes where you know every year could be a millisecond uh, or, or almost two milliseconds off. Not going to affect your day, but the fact that we are starting to understand our Earth to the degree that we can notice literally when the, the spinning top that we live on changes by that small amount, that tells us that, you know, this science thing, this, this might catch on. This is, this is a pretty good tool here.
2: <laughs> well, the science thing catching on, and of course, a year is not 365 days. It's 365 and about a quarter day long, which is why we have that, that leap year every four years. So, so sometimes yeah. we forget that these measurements aren't as exact as maybe we perceive them to be, Scott.
9: Well, yeah, we, we basically couldn't deal with a quarter of a day. And it actually turns out it's slightly less than a quarter of a day. So we have a leap year every four years, except numbers divisible by 100. So century years are not leap years, unless it's a year also divisible by 400, in which case it becomes a leap year again. There's all these sort of like fudge factors that have to go in there to basically get as close to the, the actual rate as possible. Because, you know, the Earth's spinning is one cycle and the earth going around the sun is a completely unrelated cycle and there's no reason that the two of them would sort of work out nice in in the math they're they're not linked at all and so we've been mucking with time for you know hundreds of years basically so this is just a a, again a reminder of how precise we can actually understand and what's cool about this one is um the the level of detail that we're detecting is not like the the super long billion year cycle of the of the earth slightly slowing down because of the moon it's not to do with the tides or or any of those things it's actually to do with you know literally glaciers melting and that shifting the weight of the earth enough to create this slight change we're we're seeing the effects of the environment changing on the rotation of the planet so it sort of—I mean—it's a—it's another piece of evidence in the whole um, climate change kind of kind of discussion, but it also says like we can really measure things very very precisely, and so if you're still thinking the Earth is flat, mm-hmm. um, it's probably time to revisit that conversation in your head.
2: Yeah, there's probably a few other things passing you by at that point, uh, Scott. In this same in this same story, it says this is not the first time the length of Earth. Earth's days has changed. Scientists believe that more than 1.4 billion years ago, days on Earth were less than 19 hours long. I've never, ever read that before.
9: Yeah, it it turns out the Earth was spinning faster um, because the moon wasn't in exactly the same place uh, distance from us originally. It was closer, and that actually, the the gravitational interaction of these two things basically um, meant that the Earth is... uh, was faster in the in the earlier years and is now slowing down on a very predictable kind of rate but it's it's still something like a second in a century it's not a huge amount uh, so we don 't have to worry about those changes but again that's something we sort of have understood and uh, this is sort of a more random change on top of that so we've got sort of these these regular long term cycles that we've sort of understood for quite a while and this is really the first time that we're seeing um, a really detailed explanation of these really, really small changes that are coming from basically the the shifting weight of the Earth. You know, if you've got a, a spinning top and you suddenly stick a magnet on one side of it or change the way the, the balance is, it's going to spin differently. And that's that's what we're seeing.
0: I'm putting you on the spot here, Scott, but what is the machine that measures or counts the spins or counts the movement or or takes a look at what angle we're at in space? Because as it shifts, what's watching that?
9: Right. Well, it's the big odometer in the sky, basically. No, um, <laughs> we, it, it is literally watching the rotation of the stars above us. You okay. know, the sun rises and sets all the stars and things like that. We can now measure the position of stars really, really precisely. And so we can measure... Um, exactly how long it takes the Earth to rotate around once, because that's basically the time that it takes for a star to appear back in exactly the same spot as we sort of spin around, because the stars are so far away that they don't, you know, they're essentially infinitely far away. The sun is actually close enough to us, and we go around it, so if we use the sun as our, as our milestone, like we, like we have for thousands of years it throws the numbers off. But using the stars is a really, really precise way of measuring the, the Earth's rotation.
2: Uh, 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 one of our friends, one of our listeners, Mike, says it's simple, the Earth sped up because we had more wind this year. <laughs> Duh. Uh, <laughs> uh, the
9: international- well, actually, it's interesting. The wind oh. has a lot to do with things. It's, okay. It's okay. around mass in the atmosphere. Yeah, seriously. I, I was kind of blown away as I, I, I dug into some of the... the I tried to read the reference paper and it's, it's pretty complex stuff, but one of the things um, when you get the El Nino years where you're actually blowing around hot and cold air on a large global scale, that level of change effectively changes the weight distribution of the planet because, you know, hot air rises because it's, it's less dense, it weighs less, and essentially it's moving uh, more material higher up into the atmosphere. Like a figure skater, when they stick their arms out, they slow down and then they pull their arms in and they spin faster. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're moving things up and down away from the surface of the earth, that's the arms. And that will affect the spin, even even very, very slightly. But we can now basically detect the effects of wind. And and I, I suspect the, the, the hot air um, or wind uh, <laughs> idea is probably, you know, related to a lot of the chatter and <laughs> talk that we hear, right? But well, A good old butterfly
2: that. effect is, is an actual thing. It all starts with a butterfly flapping its wing in the Himalayas, right? That whole idea. Uh, thats yeah, yeah. not too far off, potentially.
9: No, you know, the only reason that we don't see the effects of that is we don't live long enough. I mean, you got to remember, we've only really been paying attention to what happens on the planet for the last few hundred years with any precision, when we've had, you know, telescopes and seismographs and all those kinds of things, and for, what, 30, 50,000 years, you know, at all, paying attention. And the Earth's 4.5 billion years old. We're literally looking at a snapshot of history. Imagine trying to figure out everything about a person when you only have one picture from their entire life and then trying to extrapolate from there what their whole life was like. That's, that's kind of what we're doing. And that's why it's so hard and takes such precise measurements.
0: Well, Scott, thank you for reading the reference papers on this one so that you could then come and explain it to us and make it all make sense. We appreciate it.
9: No problem, you guys. Thanks a lot.
0: Scott Young with the Planetarium over at the Manitoba Museum. Always making it make sense and fascinating, Greg. I love it. It's like, that's why he's a teacher in the sense of teaching folks who walk through there. We really appreciate that.